This is Marketing Heroes Unfiltered, the journey to CMO, the podcast where we interview high-achieving B2B marketing professionals to know their stories, struggles, and insights in this fast-paced and competitive industry. Hosted by Leslie Carruthers and Danny Muscaplatt, let's meet today's hero. Firestarter, connector, and builder, we are excited to speak with Carrie Homan, VP Brand, Content Strategy, and Social Media at Zendesk, a global company headquartered in San Francisco, California. Zendesk is the champion of great service everywhere for everyone, powers billions of customer conversations, connecting over 100,000 brands with their customers. Revenue is over 1 billion, and Zendesk employs more than 6,000 people. Carrie is a fearless, results-oriented marketer and business leader. She has led digital, content, and social organizations across many major brands, including HP, Travel and Leisure, T-Mobile, and Intuit. She is now driving brand awareness and thought leadership, content marketing, and social media at Zendesk. Carrie is adept at activating influencers and partners igniting digital capabilities at scale, and defining industry-leading social media strategy and engagement. This is a podcast about heroes, which is why you're here, Carrie. Thank you so much for joining us today. We couldn't be happier to have you here. Thank you so much, Leslie and Danny. I'm I'm honored to be here and, and humbled. So thank you for including me in this experience. Awesome. So before we dive in, would you tell us, how do you start your days? Such a great question. I start my day with coffee <laughs> at the very beginning. But what I try to do is I wake up and I really start my day with kind of some good intentions. So I really think about like, what are the top three things that I need to focus on? And that is before I get out of bed, before I go make some coffee. And so then as I'm grabbing coffee, I'm really thinking about what does success look like mm -hmm. for the day? And I, you know, I've really started to kind of practice that idea of, I used to have a very long list of to-dos and I realized that that wasn't the most effective approach. And so I embraced that philosophy of write everything down, only kind of keep the top three to five things and make sure you stack rank those top three. So I do that. So I wake up, I start to wake up with kind of great intentions. Think about what does success look like today? What are the mission critical things that, that I need to focus on? try and get my energy around those and then fuel that energy with with a bit of coffee and a nice dog walk before I step into the day. Okay, so I have to ask, uh, what's your dog's breed? What's your dog's name? I'm obsessed with dogs. Oh, excellent. So Ember, she is a golden doodle and she Love. is 10 years old this year. And we have become quite, she's been my sidekick now, of course, in the past few years working remote, although I've worked remote most of my career, a lot of my career. So we have, um, she's been my coworker. She has been my, my, my assistant, if you will. Love that. Follow-up question for you on how you start your day. You set these fewer goals than you had in the past, the three to five goals. If you achieve two of them, is that a success? Yeah, it's interesting because that kind of brings me towards the end of the day. So I do try and do this kind of setting my intentions and then reflecting at the end of the day. 
It depends. Some of these goals often are kind of big, hairy, audacious goals. And so, or there could be elements that become a lot more complex than I expected. So I try to also give myself grace and making sure that we're kind of moving the ball forward on the most critical things. And so if it's two or four of those elements, that feels like a good day. And I always also am really introspective on what could I have done better towards the end of the day, thinking about conversations, meetings, how I showed up, making sure that I'm really intentional and trying to be kind of my best guide for myself. Also, in many cases, that ends up being my best and worst critic. So that is, I think, just the flip side of that. That is just a, you know, it's kind of that the natural flip side. I'm sure everyone listening can relate. Thank you for saying it out loud. So because this is a Heroes podcast, we like to talk about the origin story. And for anybody who's ever seen a Marvel movie, of which there are about 600, every hero has their beginning. So would you share with us and our listeners a little bit of your origin story? Absolutely. And coincidentally enough, Danny, it actually began at Thomson Reuters. So out of college, I joined Thomson. I joined the second largest newspaper in Los Angeles, and I was the national advertising manager. So I was selling national advertising to leading brands and agencies, and and it was a pretty bold move from selling advertising in my college newspaper. <laughs> so that was my first step into, you know, more traditional marketing. And as part of that, so this was right at a time too where digital marketing was emerging and our uh, newspaper group was asked to be the content provider for Digital City LA, which dating myself a bit, this was an AOL initiative and they were building out these digital cities across multiple different locations. So we were the content provider for Digital City LA and this was my project. And that really inspired my love for digital. And once I started on this project, I knew that that was the path that I wanted to be on. So I wanted to kind of round out my skills a bit and went back to school, got my MBA at Anderson in high-tech marketing at the time. And that was an incredible experience for me because what I found there was I really found my tribe of really bold, aspirational people and, and women and really had an opportunity to not only learn a lot, but, but really stretch and grow personally. From there, I took an internship at HP. And that really kicked off, I would say, kind of the my journey into digital marketing. It started with e-commerce, you know, kind of well before Amazon. And from there, you know, was kind of ushering in and really driving digital marketing at scale, connecting content to customers through technology at scale is kind of my, my story. And I was able to do that at HP, starting in e-commerce, moving into email marketing, web marketing. And I had been working on a number of different global properties and platforms. I had little kids by this time and was eager to get back to a single time zone. So I started working back on ushp.com and I realized there was a huge opportunity in social media. And our company had already realized this um, to the fact that we had thousands of social media profiles in the marketplace. We didn't have a real kind of orchestrated and defined strategy for social. And so kind of raised my hand uh, along with a few other great colleagues and began to build out the social media strategy for HP at a global level. 
Um, so that was hurting a lot of cats at the beginning, trying to align all of these properties into kind of an integrated strategy, but working with the social media platforms from the start, launched the first LinkedIn company page was a really fun experience, identified opportunities to really expand through social and that then kind of led me to a number of different great brands. From there, I moved to Wyndham, now Travel and Leisure, uh, to lead up their social media strategy. Uh, and that was across the Wyndham properties. So across the resort property, hotel properties, and their exchange group to build out a center of excellence. And I, I was there for a few years, was recruited by T-Mobile to come in as the director of social. And that was a wildly and you've got some good stories there. Oh my gosh. It was, you know, I often say Can we have was, you back for a second podcast for that. <laughs> you often say mm-hmm. there it, I often say that I think that was some of the most exciting, sexiest work I've ever done, you know, because they are they're just a fabulous brand and everything that they do is big and bold and it's never big enough and it's never bold enough and so it just piqued every element of curiosity and passion in me and it was phenomenal it was a great 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 experience and then i had an opportunity i you know i probably would have stayed at t-mobile indefinitely sadly i had some personal losses my mom passed away really suddenly my my husband got really sick and I had an opportunity though to come back to Boise and to lead marketing for a few smaller companies. So I did that for a few years and realized that probably just kind of the energy verve, uh, the way I approach work was likely better served in a larger corporate environment, moved back to into it where I led content marketing for them. And I was kind of missing leading social media because I'd been miss I'd been leading social media since 2012 at that point and even before that 2009 actually so I'd been leading social media since 2009 so I moved to Zendesk most recently and had an opportunity to lead both content marketing social media and I just took on the brand marketing role as well oh, wow. so it's been fantastic it's just been an amazing journey but Danny it started at Thompson at TR I love it the common thread yeah. That's a great origin story. And I love it. There are two things that really jumped out at me. First of all, that your origin story is a combination of you seeking things out that you're passionate about and excited about, and also responding to things that were happening sort of to your career, the pull to T-Mobile, you know, the tragedies in your family, and sort of reacting to the world around you. And then the second thing is, I love the word tribe when we're talking about like-minded people in marketing. That just really resonates with me. And do you find that you still have members of that original tribe in your network? I do. I do. And in fact, some of my closest friends were people that I met at grad school. And I think there it was an interesting time because tech was emerging. Many of us were kind of in that high tech marketing focus area. It's amazing to see now many of these are, you know, kind of leaders of industry across markets. Yeah. And so and my tribe has grown. And I, but I learned that kind of seeking out, finding those people who really inspire you, who you can inspire, who you can really grow from uh, was a critical part. And it's definitely something I would encourage all kind of young marketers, find your tribe, find mm-hmm. people that are passionate about, you know, kind of evolution and change and growth and you can do amazing things. That's so important because we're all going to have challenges and problems. 
we're going to hit bumps. <laughs> and what a wonderful career you've had to be able to call on that tribe, I'm sure, as you deal with whatever's keeping you up at night, to deal with some of the evergreen problems that we hear our clients talk about, time, bandwidth, time, budget, team, what's working, what isn't working, time to results, the leading up, leading out. Would you share a little bit with us about what keeps you up at night? What are the challenges that you're facing now and anything you've found that you, how you can creatively handle them? Any, any sure. tips or tricks for the listeners would be great. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm probably very similar to a lot of my colleagues in the market. It has been a wild few years, of course, from the pandemic to the great resignation to the great layoffs. Although I think I like Deloitte's term. I think they use the great reimagination as their term. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is beautiful, but it's been wild, right? So we've gone from kind of a feast to famine and as marketers and as leaders, I think it's one of the greatest challenges to be able to evolve quickly as this market has just evolved so quickly. And so mm -hmm. some of the things that we're facing currently, I think that we're all kind of trying to do this in the most graceful way is that really looking at what are the opportunities? I think in moments of let's say we're in a little bit of a moment of scarcity right now, right? Our resources are tightening. Everybody is being asked to do more with likely less, um, less budget, less people. And at the same time, to really be hyper-focused on the bottom line, driving conversion, demand marketing. I think, you know, as I talk to marketers and as I talk to my tribe, everybody is being asked to really focus on the bottom line. And I think that's, I think it's a really great opportunity to break down some previous barriers. Because I think when you're in this moment of feast, you know, there is an opportunity for people to operate very siloed. But what's what's really happening right now is it's forcing us to remove those barriers, to work, to remove the silos, to work across both not only marketing organizations or silos within marketing, but across the organization as a whole. One thing I see happening, which I think has been really fascinating and, and hopefully something we hold on to when we head back into kind of that feast mode, is a tight integration and a tighter integration with sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. Because I think one of the areas is that you know, as we have looked at the metrics and looking at, you know, what are we responsible for, whether it's pipeline, moving that all the way through conversion to sales and revenue, marketing oftentimes is looking at the programs, campaigns that we're launching, looking at, you know, our metrics and results and feeling quite good about what's happening. But if that's not hitting the bottom line, if that's not translating into revenue for the company, there's a gap. And so what, what we've been doing and what I see a number of companies doing today is really working very closely with the sales team to understand at the deepest level, maybe than, than we have in recent years, to truly understand how are the campaigns and the content that we have in the marketplace, are those resonating with customers? Are those resonating with our sales teams to drive those conversations and to be able to, you know, kind of take that pipeline and really close it? Is it meeting the needs um, for our customers? And so I think kind of current moment, it's forcing us to ask those harder questions. And ideally, again, ideally, we this is something and a practice that we hold on to and that we continue because mm -hmm. I think that it really has helped us to kind of break down 
silos across the company. Got it. No, that's a great point. Strip it all down to the bare bones, make sure we're doing the things that matter that we can measure and point to the bottom line impacts and hang on to it when we get back into the feast. Exactly. Love it. Exactly. And really, really partner partnership with sales and marketing to serve the same, same goals. Wonderful. Love that. And it's, mm-hmm. it connects, I think, to the theme that you talked about earlier. Yes, the goal for the company is, of course, revenue. We got to pay the bills and keep the lights on. But the mechanism to get there is to put the customer first. And I think that ties back to your life mm-hmm. of social media. Nobody's going to click on anything, read anything, engage in anything if it's not valuable to them. So I'm sort of seeing that theme in your answers, which is great. It's always putting the customer first. And the connector. First. And the connector. Piece, I love yeah. that. Thank you, Danny. I think that, you know, some of like one of the main philosophies that I've always operated from is if you are creating an experience that is customer first, if we truly understand what the needs of the customers are, what the pain points of the customers are, um, as I've worked to kind of create content of various different types and connecting those to customers, understanding those pain points is, is mission critical. And I think oftentimes as a brand, if we get too focused on talking about ourselves, we lose that opportunity to have that true connection with the customer and really deliver that meaningful engagement, which ideally um, results opportunities for the business in the end. Love that. It's a difference between here's what we do and here's what we can do for you. And I think that makes all the difference. You've talked a lot in your um, in your messages back and forth with Leslie and I about the story. And that really jumps out with the, you know, how can we put the customer value statement above the list of specifications and features of the things that we sell and provide? I'm excited that I feel like there is kind of general consensus around this age of storytelling And this is really the year of customer marketing as well. I mean, I think that's been a really big theme where it's one thing for us to tell our own story. It's amazing to hear our stories being told through our customers. Um, So how do we embrace storytelling in a way that, you know, that is very customer centric, again, kind of taps into those main pain points for them, meets their their needs, and also, of course, gives them aspirations for things that they may not be thinking about, things that may not be in kind of their direct view. But to be able to empower and enable our customers to tell those stories is an area that we are very focused on. And I think that I'm hearing this kind of across the board with a lot of my colleagues, really leaning in and and leveraging the power of customer storytelling and the the power of customer marketing because it has a really important role at every stage of the funnel right um, mm-hmm. customers when they see their peers and when they understand that their peers are having great success um whether it's with technology telecom travel i mean i think mm-hmm. this has been you know kind of a theme that i've experienced throughout my career and it just feels at least For me right now, it's something that we are embracing across the board and embracing it across the funnel, which is really exciting. One thing that we've talked about a little bit just in our exchanges is in this age right now of very demand focused, everybody is is trying to meet their numbers and and we're trying to kind of grow our, our future resource base. I'm very conscious of making sure that we still hold on to the future funnel, as I call it. So it's really important for us to be able to leverage storytelling, brand building, investing in rich content, both at a brand, social content marketing level, 
all the way through to middle and bottom of funnel, but ensuring that we are maintaining that top of funnel um, visibility and those top of funnel activities, because we will make it through this, you know, kind of moment in time right now. And we want to make sure that we are continuing to fuel the future funnel, right? So that we that we have um, customers that are that are a continuous flow that are coming in and prospecting. Yeah. And has that been a difficult story for you to tell? I mean, you're so articulate when you talk to us, but as you talk to your C-suite or your leadership to say, we're investing now, but we're not going to see an immediate return on these dollars. This is an investment. We're placing our bets on what happens six months down the road, nine months down the road, maybe even next year. Is that a hard message to land when you don't really have the data to show that you know, I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today? <laughs> right. You know, it's interesting. I feel like this has been probably one of the greatest hills I've had to climb throughout my entire career, especially through the launch of social media. You know, I lived through those days where everybody was asking, what is the value and what is the return? And so I think as we think about all of, you know, kind of more of top of funnel channels, as we're looking at the opportunity for brand building and content marketing, top of funnel content marketing, social media, the investments in those areas have been reduced in, in recent months, but the conversations are still very active. And what we're trying to do is really kind of marry some of that top of funnel work with middle and bottle, bottom of funnel much more actively, I'd say, than, than we have in the past to be able to show, kind of demonstrate, maybe on a smaller scale for now, that this top of funnel, future funnel elements are really critically important. And we have some campaigns that are that are rolling out soon. Um, so I'll join a future podcast and tell you about um, those and how ideally how successful they were. But it really is this concept of taking, you know, trends in the market and and leaning in deeply to customer pain points, things that we're hearing actively right now integrating customer stories and then integrating products and solutions, but not starting with products and solutions. And I think that's really the flip that we're seeing. And I think that also speaks to our previous thread around just kind of this integration between sales and marketing mm-hmm. and the richness yeah. there. And Zendesk certainly walks the talk during the pandemic. You all donated millions of dollars of service to nonprofits who are making a difference for people during the pandemic. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Oh, you're Mm -hmm. welcome. And thank you to, we have an amazing social impact team who continue to do just such tremendous work. Um, and as recently, you know, as, as sadly the earthquakes in Syria and Turkey, you know, we're actively participating in that as well. It has been the past few years. It's been a wild few years and it does feel like we are in kind of this era where <laughs> to some degree it feels um, like it's endless challenges that we're being faced with. And, you know, luckily many of us as kind of more senior people in our careers, you know, we've we've been through this in the past in many cases. Maybe we have been through some downturns, um, 2008 and little dips between then and now. But for a lot of the young adults, a lot of the emerging marketers and i know my own personal i have two young adults a a 20 and a 22 year old i've just kind of been witnessing their experience you know at a moment in time where they 
in the past few years where they should be so joyous as they're kind of heading into mm -hmm. their final years of high school or college or entering into college. Um, you know, it's been a wild moment uh, for our young adults. And it's something that I'm really passionate about, you know, kind of concerned about, want to make sure that those of us that are kind of further in our career are doing everything that we can to kind of restore hope, faith, lend a hand, lend an introduction, help them with, you know, kind of guidance and support as they're starting to build their career to figure out what their future is. But I am circling back to the, to the initial conversation around Zendesk. I'm wildly proud to work at Zendesk. Uh, they've, I've had the benefit of working for tremendous brands and and I feel very fortunate to work for such leading companies that all of these companies in different ways they lead with both head and heart and and I think that that's something also that our our young entrepreneurs and young marketers that are coming up that's something that's really important to them and we know that you know the efforts that we're making from a social impact perspective is something that's really critical for you know for our employees and and so it's and it's definitely something that we're committed to as a company future marketers can certainly take a page from your book with the optimism and gratitude that makes a big difference too i hear it thank you mm -hmm. thank you i feel like you know i am an optimist by nature i always have been and not to say that i haven't had my own uh, wild series of adversity and things that have happened but i have found that kind of optimism has kept me focused and centered. And as I combine it with a bit of verve or that verve combined with, you know, kind of some deep curiosity, it has really fueled my career in a lot of ways that, as you mentioned earlier, that that were unexpected. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's interesting as I think about my career in general, and I think about those opportunities that, you know, were a job that I applied for. Some of the jobs, some of the roles that I've had were not actually roles. They were just kind of opportunities that that I witnessed and that I found mm -hmm. and I exposed in a company, presented an opportunity, and it became a great career move that I didn't even realize I was making at the time. Well, at Hewlett Packard, you started as an intern, right? Am I remembering correctly here? Mm -hmm. Then you moved into a part-time position and then full-time. So okay. I see, yeah, making uh, the best of opportunities and what's in front of you. It's interesting. We, um, when, my, when my first son was born, I was heading out on maternity leave and I was working in e-commerce at the time uh, for HP.com. And I told my manager who I adored, I said, hey, I will do, I'll do anything. You know, I loved working with him. I said, I'll do anything. But the one thing that I really don't want to do is, is content management. So I'll see you in a few months and uh, be excited to see. We were going through some, some layoffs at the time. So I knew things were going to change. So fast forward, I came back and I came back to a, a great title of like editorial, strategic editorial manager. It was a content management job oh. <laughs> because it Welcome was, back. <laughs> of, course <laughs> it <was. laughs> of course, it was, and I, what I realized at that moment too, is, you know, there's the elements of what you need as an individual. There's also mapping that to what the business needs. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was pretty naive and early in my career. And as I was heading out saying what I didn't want to do, Aren't but as I, came, yeah, as I came back, uh, this content management or strategic editorial role 
became a role that gave me exposure to all of the email newsletters that we were producing for the commercial side of HP. And there were hundreds of them. And it gave me an opportunity to kind of examine the content and the customers and the data. And what I realized is that we were really, we were sending a lot of the same messages to a lot of the same customers through multiple newsletters. And this was before before dynamic email newsletters were something that you could buy off the shelf um, that we have now. We have this software. It's phenomenal. Um, but before we had that, I, you know, I saw this opportunity and I and I went to our managers and I went to our, our executives and I said, hey, we have an opportunity to kind of build more of a preference engine and really protect customers' attention. You know, I was leaning into going back to this kind of customer-centric approach of the importance of protecting customers' attention. And, and it was a it was a hard sell because there was a lot of people whose roles were producing hundreds of different email newsletters. And so there was a fear element of people, you know, what would their jobs look like and what would that be? And we we assured them that really their job was to still produce amazing content, but we were going to do it in a way that was very customer-centric and protect consumers' attention. And that evolved over time to a global newsletter called HP Technology at Work. It was this award-winning newsletter. So, you know, kind of the message here is <laughs> that I learned, you know, for myself is don't underestimate the opportunities. And, uh, you know, this this role that I thought I didn't want ended up being something that kind of gave birth as both the product manager of this tool and then the editor-in-chief of this newsletter, this global newsletter for the commercial division for many years to the fact that I've really, you know, it was a hard, I didn't want to leave it because it was my baby that I had really kind of given birth to. <laughs> In, in addition to the to the humans that were being born in parallel. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess the message there is just really, you know, kind of leaning into that curiosity, but making sure looking at the opportunities, you know, from a customer's lens, but for the business. This is such a timely answer. And I'm rethinking some feedback that I gave somebody yesterday as a mentor. Somebody had called me and was asking a very similar question. You know, I, I don't love my role right now. What other roles? are there that are out there that I should be seeking? And my advice was along the lines of what do you enjoy doing and what aligns with your skill set? And hearing you talk, I'm sort of reimagining my answer. And I think I'm going to call her back because it's less about what do you enjoy doing and more about what problem can you solve for the company, for the customer, where can you use your skill set to fix a thing or solve a thing? And so I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm rewinding back 24 hours thinking, hmm, I think I'm going to go back and have a different conversation. I so thank that. you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. You've talked a lot about customer pain points, organizational pain points. Um, we wanted to talk to you about some of your pain points. What, either in in your recent work history or your, you know, feel feel free to dig into the archives. What's the big gnarly problem that you were faced with? You had to solve uh, something that you didn't quite have a clear path to the solution, but you had to figure it out. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I find yeah. myself wrapped in these big, hairy, ambiguous spaces. And I think I kind of accidentally, through curiosity, <laughs> end up in these situations. The, the one example I just gave you was the email newsletter, which just, you know, was kind of this curiosity. And it ended up being a pretty complex project. Another, you know, there's been a number of different examples that have 
that kind of follow a similar trend, but in a similar fashion as we looked at social media, right? There was a lot of different people who were really, really passionate about launching their own social media profiles. And so one of the, I think the email newsletter project and success maybe fueled my confidence that, hey, I can tackle some of these other big, complex projects. And so at HP, I took hundreds of different social media channels and and really orchestrated them into a company strategy in partnership with a few key colleagues. And that was something that was really complicated because it was global in nature. It involved a lot of people's individual roles. And so I think at HP, because the company was so large and there was so many you know, kind of independent silos that were happening sure. in parallel, um, being able to orchestrate something at that level was pretty powerful. So I gained a lot of confidence both through the email, through kind of taking on social media, again, not alone uh, with a few amazing colleagues and really harnessing that into um, an integrated company strategy. But that has been kind of a path that I've taken throughout all of my roles. I followed a similar path at uh, Travel and Leisure as we were, you know, I worked for the resort group. I didn't work for the hotel group or the exchange group, but saw an opportunity to really truly have this kind of center of excellence across these three divisions uh, that were all part of Wyndham at the time, now Travel and Leisure, and brought a lot of clarity and a lot of strategy as well as just efficiency. And so I think and I took that same strategy and approach as I went to T-Mobile, uh, started as the director of social and began to, began to look for opportunities to partner with our internal resources and internal teams who had bold visions you know, for social media and how do we bring that to life in partnership with you know, our amazing execs at the time, our CEO, and their CEO still is very active on social, but John was a very active participant in Team Mobile Social at the time. So um, as I look at these opportunities and challenges, I think they all kind of share a few common threads. And one is that by nature, they are activities that are happening in silos and silos of different elements. And so being able to kind of find the common thread or that red thread that begins to weave the silos together, both from a business strategy perspective, always from a customer lens. And the other element that we haven't talked too much about is leveraging data. So really ensuring that we're taking kind of a data backed approach. So data is driving and I think data helps, you know, stepping in to kind of test and pilot opportunities to show a proof of concept. This is a a concept that Intuit um, embraces for everything that they do. And when we were evolving the QuickBooks, the Intuit QuickBooks blog, we took a test and learn approach. We had a number of different hypotheses around what we thought the experience should be. And that also involved integrating a number of different experiences that we had into a much more centered view for the customer. But what we did is we tested it. We tested it with a percentage of the population. We used data. We took time, which was helpful to make sure that we were making you know, a very kind of measured approach as we were evolving a very significant portion of the customer experience. And so 
take the time to use data to test and learn and really be very collaborative you know one thing that i have found is how do you uh, we spoke earlier about building a tribe how do you i i find my tribe i think kind of wherever i go and and my tribe are people that you know really believe in how do we leverage our talent, our experience, our, our curiosity, our skills, and how do we band together to do something great? And so that has been the case, you know, kind of in all of those projects I just mentioned, and really identifying a cross-functional group across an organization that if you have a vision, if you have a bold vision, how can you find your tribe within your organization and bring in the right members bring in the sales team, bringing in data and analytics, the go-to-market teams, so that you can really understand. Um, we clearly we have insight, but each team brings a different point of view. So, how do you ensure you bring in the right people, so that anything that you're kind of trying to evolve or bring to life is really truly that 360 view for the customer and for the business. Um, and how do you ground it in business outcomes? So I think those are some of the, I guess, key ingredients that I've learned as I've gone through these big, hairy, audacious, <laughs> these BHAG type of projects um, that tend to live in a lot of ambiguity. And I really, I've learned not to be, you know, kind of afraid of ambiguity and really embrace it, embracing ambiguity so that you know, so that you can really push through to understand is this is this worth the effort uh, that you believe it is testing it and and then bring it to life. I hear the evolve quickly that you mentioned earlier too. Yeah, yeah, it's a big part of it. Wonderful. We're down just the the tag cloud here, the word cloud, curiosity, <laughs> data connector, collaborator, optimism, customer first, future funnel, red thread, bold vision. Yeah, love all this. This is fantastic. It's going to be such a great episode. <laughs> yeah. So we've hit a, a quite a few of the and jumped around a little bit in the order, which is totally fantastic. I apologize. No, 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 no. Organic. Yeah, yeah. it love it. Uh, what do you want to say next, Danny? A couple of things that I that I want to hit on are the. I mean, I definitely want to hear the advice for the next generation because you already hit on that earlier and how important it is to. <laughs> you know, be empathetic and think about them, especially during these changing times. Um, and then I guess two other things we could do. One is just a question that you have for, you know, listeners or other marketers that maybe you would love feedback on, you know, other people have solved it. And crowdsource and then, it. Yeah. And crowdsource it. And then we just have a whole bunch of like rapid fire questions that we could just ask. I mean, goofy things like the last book you read, favorite drink, you know, all that kind of stuff. Do those seem like the a good next three to bring us home that sounds great okay leslie do you want to kick one sure. off sure sure um so let's stick with the let's stick with the problems and then we'll move on to the the advice so so is there something you've mentioned a lot of the big gnarly hairy audacious goals that the big ambiguous projects that, you, that you've taken on and how to bring the right team talent approach headset a mental mindset all of it to it is there anything that you would like support on that we could crowdsource that we could bring to the listeners and see what ideas solutions they have for you oh i'd love that thank you um i think and this isn't necessarily a new question or problem but i do feel like it's like hitting a pivotal moment and that is 
to gate or not to gate content. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so as this is something I'm very passionate about it. I, I am a no gator. So I believe that that we we should very strategically, I should clarify that. I believe that we should very strategically gate content and that we've kind of created this mode of a a false mql by gating content too early mm -hmm. and as a result of that we have then created this experience that's probably less than ideal for a customer who was really interested in just reading this content a bit deeper and wasn't necessarily ready for a salesperson or an email flow to hit them so dramatically. So as we think about this question, you know, I would love to get your listeners views on to gate or not to gate content. When do they believe it's really most important to gate content? We are at Zendesk, we're moving away from, we had a lot of, I would say a lot, and we still do have a lot of kind of early gated content. Sure. We're evolving that and we're really looking at instead of MQLs as our core metric. And that really has been kind of the reason why we've, I think, <laughs> as B2B marketers, I think that's why we've done this for so long is how do we measure, uh, you know, this opportunity? How do we begin to kind of quantify the value of the work? We're moving from MQLs to really using engagement as the primary metric. And so in order for engagement to be that primary metric, we need to ensure that they can engage with the content. So you will see us moving to deeper gates, later gates, hopefully moving away from gates more entirely. There, I still believe that there's certain content that is valuable to gate, but this is the question, to gate or not to gate? I would love to hear your listeners' view on that. It's a great right. one. It's a controversial one. And I think it's going to be, we're going to get different responses based on if people are answering the question as a consumer that has to fill out all the information on these, you know, 18 forms, 18 uh, questions within a form, or as yeah. marketers who have a goal that they have to hit for the sales team. So that's a great one. Thank you for that. You're welcome. We'll get on that poll and get the results. Yes. Love it. I love that. So as you think about the next generation of marketers, and you've talked a little bit about this earlier, and, you know, Leslie and I both just really appreciate you, you know, leading with empathy here and thinking about, you know, the ever-changing reimagining world that, that the younger generations live in. What advice do you have for younger marketers, either early in their career or people who have ambitious targets to become the VPs and eventually the CMOs of the world? I love it. I have a lot of, I would say, just kind of key nuggets that I would encourage them to embrace. One is take big risks, right? Be willing to step in to those kind of ambiguous spaces. And you may not know all of the information, but be willing to take big risks because I think with big risks also comes great reward. I am a big believer in kind of stretching, and my team hears this quite a bit. Uh, I, I always kind of do my introductions to my team, letting them know that they're going to feel a bit stretched. They're going to feel a bit like they're kind of in the splits. And that is in that kind of splits position, you're stretching, you're growing. But as they are 
kind of growing in whether it's that project or program and standing really tall, that's where the great growth comes. So taking big risks, feeling comfortable in this stretch is definitely advice that that I share with my teams and that I would share with all emerging marketers. I would also encourage, you know, as we've talked about, to ensure that you're putting the customer first. If we're designing for the customer, we will know that we're delivering a great experience. And so there's, of course, the business outcomes that have to be part of that experience and that element. What are you trying to achieve? So get really clear with what are the business outcomes. Use data to make those arguments and to drive those big ambitious goals that you have. But making sure that the customer's view is always first. And then ultimately, I'd say, you know, as we've talked about a bit today, just kind of collaborating, you know, finding your tribe and really identifying those people who share a similar type of verve um, and and passion for for the work that you're doing. Um, Maybe the last point I would say is, you know, kind of embrace what I call work-life integration. So work-life balance has never made sense to me. Anybody that's worked with me knows this, but I feel lucky because I've always loved my work. And so I spend a lot of time at it, but it's because I really enjoy it. So I I do think about it as work-life integration. And so allowing yourself to to go deep and and to spend the time that's needed to bring those big moments to life and then at the same time allowing yourself those moments to take a break don't miss your kids performances you know those are priceless moments but work-life integration i think can bring you great satisfaction and i had a a recent mom who we were just chatting and she was just giving birth to her first child and she said gosh you know i'm I'm a little bit nervous, you know, I don't know if I really can do it all. Can I do it all well? Can I do? And I was reassuring her that, yes, you absolutely can. Like you can have such a powerful career and a beautiful life. Mm -hmm. It's just figuring out, you know, kind of what that integration and what that kind of balance means to you and and being true to that. I'm just seeing the, the sign over your left shoulder. Live a great life. Exactly. Uh, live a great story. Live a great story. There you go. Live a great story. Yeah, mm-hmm. those are those are definitely words to live by. Mm-hmm. Integration, work life integration. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Do you want to do some rapid fire questions? Sure. Yes. All right, you start. <laughs> Your career is a movie. Who plays you? Oh, this is interesting. This is hard only because I have such a doppelganger. Uh, I don't know if you guys can tell who it is, but Tina Fey. Ah, oh, I was going to say Julia oh, Roberts. Oh, Julia Roberts, thank you. Uh, Tina Fey is who I get all the time. So I think I would, I just wish, you know, I don't have her humor, but. Uh, she would do a great job. Uh, I can see that for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's your favorite productivity hack? Oh, oh, that is a great question. Sorry, rapid fire. I'm not going very rapidly. Oh, I am. I am a list. I am an old school writing a list person. So it's it literally is kind of a list that sits beside my bed, a notebook that I use in the morning and I use at night. Love it. Okay. Here's a tough. What is your favorite social media channel? Ah, LinkedIn. Isn't that strange? LinkedIn is my favorite social media channel. Maybe, possibly it was born <laughs> in the, you know, kind of deep work that I did early in my career, but I just find it's such a great opportunity to connect with like-minded people, to connect with my tribe and to also help. I love 
There's nothing I love more than connecting great people. And LinkedIn is a great way to do that. So I'd say LinkedIn. It's awesome. What's the last book you read? I am right now I'm reading Thomas Wolfe's um, Homeward Angel. Look, Homeward Angel. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a beast of a book. And I saw the Netflix movie, The Genius, and Jude Law um, played Thomas. And so it inspired me. So I'm. it's going to take me a little bit to get through this one. It's a It's a good one. But he's That's one of a the good ones. one. Not for the faint mm -hmm. of heart. Definitely. So is there something that you've dreamed of doing for a long time that haven't yet? Oh, I have always wanted. So if I start early in my career, my dream was to be more of a photojournalist. And so working for National Geographic was always the big dream. And I started on the writing side. So I've always been, content has always been kind of part of who I am. So I think now the way that that's evolved is still having some sort of photojournalism element, but launching a blog and that is rooted in travel and experience. But the foundational element would be giving back. So, you know, kind of a humanitarian bend to it. So I'm kind of hoping that's what my, let's say, third act might look like. Oh, cool. If it's, if it turns into a group of uh, business, sign me up. I love that. <laughs> if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one quality or ability, what would it be? Oh, I would love to play the piano. Yeah, Do you play anything? I, I don't play an instrument. Okay. Okay. I don't. But we have a piano and my kids play. And my kids play a lot of different instruments. And so I'd love to be able to play music. But the piano mm. would be the place to start. Mm. What's the best compliment you've ever gotten? Mm. You know, besides that you look like Tina Fey. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that I inspired people on their journey, you know, that I was, that I was a mentor and a, and a guide for them. That's awesome. Wonderful. Describe yourself in five words. Okay. Active, ambitious, optimistic, quirky, fifth one, creative. Good list. This is just wonderful. It's been a joy to, to hear mm -hmm. and, and engage with you and just what a phenomenal career. Thank you so much. Well, thanks Thank for the opportunity. You. I really appreciate it. Awesome. All right. You have a great one. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for staying tuned. If you're enjoying these conversations, we would so appreciate if you would subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us to increase the podcast's reach. Thank you. See you next week with more inspiring stories. This episode of Marketing Heroes is brought to you by The Search Guru, produced by Circle Audio and podcast cover art by Andra Lazorda.